we've spent the spring in the prophets uh, considering their anticipation of the resurrection or God's anticipation of the resurrection through the prophets. It's not always sure whether the prophets knew exactly what they were talking about, but God knew. And this is one of those more mornings where you see God knew, I believe, far more than maybe Ezekiel might have known at the time. When a prophet gives a word from the Lord, when he gives an oracle or a sign, or when a vision comes to the prophet, very often, almost always, it has to mean something in the here and now of the prophet. It has a meaning, it almost always has a meaning to the ears that hear the word at the time of the prophet's speaking. There's there's an importance there. It's important for the prophet to validate himself as the Lord actually spoke through him. There needs to be a, a, a method of validation. And so there's, there's almost always a, very, a significant meaning that happens in the life and times of the prophet himself. This morning, I'll give you the punchline up front. This morning, uh, you're going to read about these dry bones, these, these hopeless dry bones, and... Uh, the meaning in the life of Ezekiel is that the bones are the nation of Israel. And that God means to give Israel a new hope, means to instill in Israel this hope for new life and a return home. Israel is, at this point in the story, is in exile. The kingship has been uh, removed. The nation has been removed from its homeland. The temple has been destroyed. The city has been destroyed. They're without hope. And, and Ezekiel is speaking a word of prophecy from the Lord to those people. And that's the meaning in that setting. But there are also prophecies that ripple through time. They have an after effect or an aftershock or a reverberation through the time. That they have a meaning that's in front of the people but then there's this meaning, like, like if you throw a stone and you skip it. It's like a stone that skips. And it hits the water, but it keeps going. And each time it hits, it has a continual meaning. And at last, finally, is when it drops to the bottom. A good example is Isaiah. When the Lord speaks through Isaiah and says, a virgin will be with child. Well, that meant something, right? And you should be named Emmanuel. And all the prophecies there, well, that meant something in the time that it was said under, the, under King Ahaz when Isaiah spoke it. But we know that that stone skipped. And it went way, way, way until the Messiah. This is one of those mornings. This is just such a morning where there's a truth then, but the stone skips. Let me pray and we'll read. Lord, I ask you to soften our hearts. You give us a spirit of celebration for what you've done. Father, I thank you that uh, throughout our year as a fellowship, we regularly return to your resurrection. And so uh, we are not surprised by this Sunday. Uh, but Lord, help us to bask in, in the new life and the hope uh, that we have to commemorate this morning, I pray. And, and help us, Lord, as we do it through your word. 
We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what I want to do is I want to walk through this vision in Ezekiel and then go from there uh, to our thoughts about, about Christ and what he's done for us. And so I'm going to read. I'm going to read a few verses at a time and, and we'll continue. So look in Ezekiel 37 and I just want to read the first two verses. This is what the Lord says. The hand of the Lord was upon me. This is Ezekiel writing. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. So let's stop here. Ezekiel receives a vision. This is a vision that Ezekiel has received. And the Lord brings him to this valley. And I think it's worth noting the way the vision is given to him. The Lord doesn't place him up on a hillside and, and say, look down, son of man, into the valley and tell me what you see. That's not the way the Lord gave this vision. The Lord takes Ezekiel into the valley, which is full of these dry bones. This wasteland, it could be plain, this, this lowland plain. He takes him into this plain, which is full of the dry bones. And then it says, he, he walked me among them. He took me around among them. And so the Lord brings him into the valley, and he wades him among the bones. And Ezekiel's a priest. So it would un, be unclean for anyone to touch a dead thing, but especially for a priest. And so you can imagine Ezekiel being walked through this valley all around these bones, so that he has these two, these two convicting experiences about it. He says, behold, there were very many. Everywhere I looked, this, the, the tone, the bones were all over the place. And then he says, and behold, they were very dry. You can imagine them being white from the sun. The Lord wants him to experience it. The Lord wants him to understand all of what he's saying here. The Lord's immersing him in this vision. Okay? And then the Lord asked him a question. Let me read three through six. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know, which is a good answer. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. The Lord gives him this question. He says, son of man. And son of man is, is, is it's rare. It's a rare phrase, except in Ezekiel. The Lord uses it to refer to Ezekiel over 50 times. It's a humbling phrase for Ezekiel. He's nothing but the Son of Man. Like, in relationship to God, if God's going to approach him, he's just 
the son of man. In, in, now, Christ will eventually take this title for himself and elevate it, right? The son of man becomes the son of God. But here it is a humbling. It's as though Christ took a humble phrase and made it divine. Here it's humble. Son of man. Can these bones live? Now, if anyone else had asked the question, the answer would be obvious. This is, this is as far as we're concerned, an impossibility. I mean, the Lord took Ezekiel, didn't sit up on the hill and say, what do you see, Ezekiel? He took him among these bones and he weighted them among the bones and he saw, oh, there's so many of these bones and they're so dry. They're so dead. I mean, life has forgotten these bones. I love Ezekiel's answer because it reminds me, whenever God asks me a question, all things are possible. There's no question. The Lord could never put a question of ability to us where we couldn't say, well, Lord, you know. If you want to do it, you can do it. Everything is possible with the Lord. And so he says this to to him. He says, he gives him a command. I want you to say something. He says, prophesy to these bones. And this is what he prophesies to the bones. He says, bones, listen to me. Listen to the word of the Lord, right? All he says to the bones, he doesn't tell the bones to do anything, but hear me. Bones, hear the word of the Lord. Everything that the Lord is saying he's going to do is something the Lord is going to do. So he says, bones, listen. Thus says the Lord, I will put life in you. I will put flesh on you and sinews on you and skin on you and I'll breathe the breath of life in you and then you will live and then you will know who I am. I mean, that is essentially the gospel of Jesus Christ. This stone has skipped. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is an image of reconstruction. You see it? It should be uncomfortable in your head. So if you're feeling like, I mean, sometimes when the Lord wants to make sure you see it, it feels this way. This is what new life is. He grabs your old, dry, dead bones and he brings them together, and then he puts the sinews, like the ligaments, 
and then the muscle and the flesh, and then the skin. But it gets there, right? And you see this. You see this reconstructive process, but it hits a wall. It hits a wall right into the eighth verse. It says, but there was no breath in it. So you end up having these bodies, this valley of intact bodies laying on the ground with no life in them. That's the image that's being given. As the Lord is in the reconstruction process, but the reconstruction process stops. It would look to you and me as though everything was there, but the breath of life is not there. And so they are, in fact, not alive. It, rem- it reminds me that the truth of God, devoid of the Spirit, is not life-giving. I mean, the truth of God is true and is good, but if we reject the Spirit, it's knowledge. It's just knowledge. It reminds me of in the days, the last days when Jesus is, he is giving woes to the Pharisees and the scribes. Because of this, because they have have spoken the word of God, but have not conveyed the Spirit of God, have not offered the heart of God to the people. In fact, they have betrayed God's nature in giving God's word. They've manipulated it. And he says to them, you are like, he says, woe to you, you who are like whitewashed sepulchers, whitewashed tombs. He says, you have the form of beauty, the shape of beauty. You have all, everything that you'd look on with admiration, but inside of you is death. This is one of these moments, these moments where we're reminded Our life is not simply physical. Our life is not simply material. Our life is essentially spiritual. Without the Spirit. Do we really have any more hope than if we were just dry bones? By the time it ends, there's this vast army. It's this total reversal of how it began. Later on, you'll hear, you'll hear this word that they were slain, those who were slain. So there's this reversal of somehow in this vision, all this, this wasteland of dry bones in this valley are the victims of having been slain. When the Lord is done with them, they are this righteous, vast army of God. And that's the vision. And then the Lord gives meaning. Verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves, and I raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. In verse 11, the Lord says to Ezekiel, here's here's the vision, Ezekiel. The 
the people of Israel, the nation of Israel are these dry bones. In fact, they say, that's what it says in 11. It says, they say, our bones are all dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. They have, there is this full spirit of hopelessness among the people. But I say, in verse 12, they say they are without hope, but I say, I will raise them from their graves. I will put my spirit in them. I will bring them to their land and they will know that I am God. Now this is a a figurative image, this issue of the bones. All the way through 11, it's figurative. Ezekiel gets a vision, so we know it's a vision. Ezekiel was not really brought to a real valley of dry bones. He receives a vision in which there is this valley of dry bones. And then in 11, the metaphor is made, right? The Lord says, Ezekiel, the nation of Israel is like the bones. They feel like the bones. And so I get that. I get that this vision is is figurative or is an expression is symbolic of a truth. But the words that the Lord says in verse 12, they don't feel that figurative to me. It feels to me that the vision's done. In fact, it might even be that the vision was for Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I want you to understand how the people feel. I want you to know that I know how you feel. And so Ezekiel, look at here, bring in the valley, see the bones, you can see what I'm going to do. He does all of that. But you see here in 11, it says, they say they're all without hope. They are, their hope is lost. But when when he turns to, when the Lord actually turns to say what he's going to do, he doesn't say it's as I'm going to raise you out of the grave. He says, I'm going to raise you out of the grave. It's the nature of the kinds of prophecies that skip. Where you're like, what? Is he just doing it then, or is did he is he really going to do it? After all, can these dry bones live? I mean, if the Lord if the Lord wants to do it, can't he do it? The truth is, God actually does this, and He does this. He promises this for us, and he does this through the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus was dead and was raised. That's the truth. The truth is we worship a resurrected Savior. The truth is that every single thing that the Lord has said here in verses 12 and 13 and 14, he has done for his son and he will do for us. Jesus Christ is not just a data point. He is the firstborn from among the dead. That's what the scriptures say. Why? Because we follow after. He's the first fruits from the grave. Why? Because we're the second fruits. We are to follow after him. We will have our bones united and our sinews tied and our flesh and our skin. And then the spirit of the Lord will breathe in and bring us to life. And then we will know that he is God. This morning I want to do something very, very basic I want, to show you, I want to show two things. I would like to show you that like Israel, we are without hope. Dry bones. I mean, we in and of ourselves, we're without hope. That's what I want to do. 
And then the second thing I want to do is I would like to show you how Christ is this word of power that has come to speak life into us and that through his death and resurrection, we can have hope. That's what I want to do. I want, I, we've seen this vision. This vision, I want us to say that we, like Israel, are, in and of ourselves, utterly without hope. And then I want to offer that Jesus Christ is, is not only is he our hope, but he also, he is a vision a true vision of something that's happened in the past that we can hold on to. So he is this vision of hope for us that has actually happened and that will actually happen to us. Okay. Number one, we are dry bones. The Bible clearly demonstrates from the very beginning all the way to the very end that all life emanates from God. All life on earth emanates from the Lord. He is the sole giver of life. When he created, there was nothing. It was formless and without void. And the spirit was hovering over the chaos. And the Lord spoke life into it. And life came out of it. And he breathed the breath of life into it. It says he breathed the breath of life into the animals. And he breathed the breath of life into the man. All life on earth emanates from the Lord. We also know this from Scripture that life was freely given to Adam, that Adam had full, unending life until Adam sinned. It was Adam's sin that separated him from life. In fact, at the end of the sin, the Lord said to himself, he said, look, he has become like one of us, knowing the difference between good and evil. And the Lord reasoned with himself and said, we need to separate him from the tree of life. We need to place him away from the tree of life, lest he continues to eat from the tree of life and lives forever. So the Lord cast him out of the garden and posted guards at the garden to protect the tree of life from the man, because the man had sinned and therefore was removed from eternal life. God is the sole giver of life, and man rebelled from God. Our father Adam rebelled. He sinned, and through his sin came death. And in death, our hope has waned. In Hebrew, son of man, you know what son of man is in Hebrew? Ben Adam. Ben Adam, son of Adam, can these bones live? Now, the Bible goes to great lengths to describe the nature of our problem. Our nature and our problem. We don't simply sin because we don't know right from wrong. We sin because it's part of our nature. Now, because we are the son of Adam. We, 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 sin is a problem that we simply can't eradicate. No level of training or discipline can eradicate this from our nature. It's in us. And our sense of righteousness cannot account for the things, cannot make amends for the things we've done wrong. We can't say to the Lord, we know we sinned here, but we did three good things over there. They don't atone for one another. When the Lord makes us to always be righteous... The few things that we have, which are almost as filthy rags, cannot atone or make up for the things we haven't done well. 
we're not really righteous. Even our righteousness is not really righteous. We're like a child who draws a picture for their father of a bird. And they show it. Look at this great bird. It's the best bird I've ever drawn. The reality is it's not that good. (laughs) And it certainly is not the real McCoy. Our righteousness is mediocre. On On our best day, it's mediocre. And even the closer you draw to the Lord, even on your best day, doing your best thing in your best moment, sometimes the Lord, if you, really, if you really listen to Spirit, climbs deep inside and says, you know, but there is still that little thing in you. The mere fact that you're saying to me, that was righteous, wasn't it? Is unrighteous. Because it's in our roots Sin is death. That's the reality. The wages of sin is death, says the scripture. Since the beginning of of our lives, the cost of rebellion from God, no matter how big or how small, as though we could say that there's any version of small rebellion from God. But no matter how big your rebellion or how small your rebellion, rebellion is rebellion. Sin results in death. So how does that happen? It simply happens because the Lord, who's the giver of life, stops giving it. The great breather of the breath withholds his breath from you because you have rebelled. The scriptures say this, you are dead in your transgressions. Does that sound like this valley of dry bones? You're dead in your transgressions. In other words, the Lord is saying, in yourself, there is no hope. In yourself, there is no hope. Now, throughout the ages, throughout all of the ages, we have, the sons of man, have aspired to fashion their own hope. Their own form of hope. Some have aspired to build a tower. We will build a tower to the heavens. In them is this notion of the progressive solidarity of mankind. It translates this way. It's, it's no more sophisticated anymore. It translates exactly this way. If we could all just get along and establish world peace, then everything would be fine. You see that, that hopeful, progressive attitude? That is false hope because it denies the fact that the problem is endemic to our bloodstream. It's in us. We will never get along because the problem is in us. Sin is not in the air, it is in our blood. So God sees this. God sees this tower building all through the ages, all through the ages, these these great hopes for progressive solidarity and, and for us to evolve away from the evils of our ancients. We haven't seen any of this. There's more sin in the 20th century than we can put our, our finger on for all centuries previous. And so the Lord sees the tower building and he casts it into confusion. It's God's grace that he, knocked, he, knocked, he scatters those people and confuses their languages. Go away. In Genesis 11, you're six pages into the Bible and he's dealing with this false hope. 
Some others have chosen to place their hope in a lesser God. If I've rebelled from that God, maybe this God will give me hope. And so we've gone on to find, seek and find small hope, small false hope in small things, rather than a great hope in a great God. That's the other way that mankind has aspired to establish hope. Is if I don't, if I, there's, I can't find hope in solidarity, I, maybe I can find hope in these smaller things. Oh, if I, through wealth or through desire, or any fashion or form of idolatry that you can name, these small versions, you and I know that eternity is in us. Does the fact that you'll live to 75 years instead of 72 years really give you hope? Does the fact that you're a little more attractive for 72 years satisfy the hope, the knowledge that you were made to live forever? We were made in the image of God. We were placed in the garden on the sixth day and were intended to exist with the Lord for all time. Time and time and a half time. All time we were supposed to be with the Lord. We were placed beside the tree of life. Could we eat from the tree of life? Absolutely we could eat. We could gorge ourselves on the tree of life. There was no prohibition as to the amount of life we could have. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was our prohibition. Some aspire. If we could all just get along, we'll solve our problem. Some, some say, you know what? I'll just, I'll just find something that gives, pats me on the back on my way to the grave. That's what these... There's a third category of hope, false hope, and that is in our effort. There's some people who know humanity is shares my, my nature. There's no hope in humanity. They also know there's no hope in these lesser gods. There's, there's, there's a, a lamentable honesty about this sort of person that they know still God is God. And I'm separated from him, but he's God. And so these people pursue hope through laborious, laboriously seeking to be righteous, through, through laboring after righteousness. You would be the person who actually thinks you're pretty good. In America, actually, you don't even have to labor to have that disposition. That's the default disposition of the worst people I know, is that they're pretty good. I guess everybody's pretty good. If everybody's pretty good, who's good? But there's this thought. This, this is why, by the way, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit understand their futility. The great blessing, this is the irony of the Christian life, is that our hope, the path to hope for the Christian is to pass through hopelessness. The path to true hope is to realize that we are in and of ourselves without hope to be poor in spirit. The confused among us are the wealthy and the beautiful and the distracted and the overly optimistic and those who reject the nature of mankind. 
Those are the people who are confused and without hope. But people who, who look at all of those things and say, there's false hope there, and there's false hope there, and there's false hope there. And they look to the Lord and they say, Lord, I am without hope. They are the ones with hope. That's what Jesus says is, blessed are they. Those who are blind shall see, and those who think they see are blind. We cannot, we are unable, we are dry bones. That's what we are. We're a valley of dry bones. Did the bones connect to the bones? Did the bones say to the bone, let's connect? Did the bones call the sinews? Did the bones conjure up the flesh and the skin? Did the bones breathe their own spirit? No. The bones were dead, dry bones, and then God spoke. That's what we are. And then God speaks. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word spoken to us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word of life to people. He is the word that says to the bones, Live. Just like Ezekiel. The Lord didn't put his arm around Jesus in heaven and say, look down and tell me what you see down there. Jesus said, well, I see a valley of dry bones. The Lord said to Jesus, go down. Walk among the bones. Be among them. Immerse yourself in them, right? And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is our hope. Jesus came down. He walked among us. He lived a perfect life, a life without stain, a life without flaw, a life without sin, a life without rebellion. He was at all times and always one with the Father. He was perfect, perfectly united with the Lord throughout his entire life. And that makes his blood different than your blood and my blood. He is a different kind of son of man. He is what the scriptures call a second Adam. He's a new Adam. Which is why we receive his blood with hope. In the gospels, we receive hope from what actually happened. The Lord actually sent Jesus Jesus actually came to earth. Every word he spoke was pure and holy. Every act he did was marvelous. He did true signs and miracles. He spoke truth where there was no truth. He loved those people who knew they were without hope and called those people in false hope to a real hope. And for that, he was rejected. He was crucified on the cross. He was buried on the third day. He was raised again by the power of the Lord. He was justified by the Holy Spirit. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come one day to judge all of mankind, to the, all the quick and the dead, to do they observe that the Lord is the sole giver of life and that that man is Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. To which every creature, every human being is called to respond to. Well, some of you may say, well, some of you are saying, yeah, I believe that. That's great. Good. But some of you may not. This may be your, uh, the annual trip to church, and I thank you for that. And you may be bothered 
by the fact that I'm standing here saying that you are not righteous. And you're not good. And I'm not saying that, by the way, because I'm righteous and good. You're, assume you're better than me. I'm just saying I'm not hoping in it. You can be six times as good as me because my hope is placed in something else. That's all I'm saying is you do not have in and of yourself, God made you, you don't have in and of yourself the substance to bring true righteousness to the very person who made you from whom you've rebelled. That's all I'm saying. And there's no bad news here because the good news is that Jesus Christ has seen it and has come and is looking to find in you that place of modesty and humility and brokenness that can say, I am no hope in and of myself. Lord, speak over me, put your spirit in me and raise me. Son of man, can these bones live? Lord, you know. Christ is risen from the dead. He's alive. He has brought a message of love to all of mankind. He loves the broken and the, and the hopeless and, and anyone who would turn to him. Amen. You pray with me, please. Lord, this is, this is your good news. There is no other good news. This is the good news. The Christian faith is infinitely deep, but it condenses marvelously and mysteriously to this idea, this good news. God sent his son into the world to save sinners. I pray, Lord, that you would eradicate among the confessing followers of Christ here any spirit of, of, of arrogance or pride that attaches any meaning to a sense of our personal righteousness. Lord, make us a contrite, holy, humble people so that when the outside world looks in, they would not see a heresy about us. But they would see a purity of the gospel. Even if they don't see a purity in us, they see a consistency in our lives that does not boast in our own righteousness, but clings to the righteousness of Christ. And Lord, I ask, I pray for the ears in this room that hear these words uh, and then reject the truths, Lord. I pray you, you would place your word in them, plant the seed in them, Lord, and grow it. Blow on it, Lord. Blow it like an ember and make it hot so that they might know you and so they might live. Father, we praise you for the victory we have in your Son. 
We proclaim his death and his, and his resurrection until you come home and take us to be with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.